Dr. Kimberly Wiley. I teach organizational leadership and nonprofits for the Department of Family, Youth, and Community Sciences at the University of Florida. In this podcast, I offer lessons from our course readings to support knowledge building and skill mastery and nonprofit leadership in management. In this podcast, we talk about decision making things that help us make decisions, things that get in the way of decision-making, what tools we can use, and how we can make sense of the process. So grab your reading by Holzer and Switzer in Public Decision-Making, and let's get started. As a leader in a nonprofit organization, there's a number of things that you'll have to make decisions about. If fraud or theft occurs in your organization, how will you handle it? What will you do? If a new grant opportunity arises, will you apply for it? When is the right time to approach a donor to ask for more funds or ask for new funds? When is the right time to find new technology for your financial management, your donor management? Should you hire an IT person? Do you have that many technology needs? How do you make decisions about each of these? Should you add a new program? Is it the right time? These are the kinds of decisions that you'll make as a leader in a nonprofit organization. As you begin to determine how to answer each of them, the first step is to go to your mission. Your mission statement will guide you what is valuable, what will help you reach your mission. And once you reach that point, if you can't quite find the right answer, then you can go to your policies and your protocols. A good policy manual can help you make problems when or make decisions when problems arise. Really strong job descriptions and performance evaluation tools, those can help you make hiring and firing decisions and decisions about promotions. The strategic plan can help you know when you need to add a program or cut a program. These tools put structure around decision-making by limiting our choices. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called Blink, And in that book, he talks about how decision-making can become complicated with the more and more information that you have. Sometimes you just need to go with your gut. At a nonprofit, if you set those boundaries around yourself, a good policy manual, a job description, strategic plan, those kinds of things, if those are in place, you can make decisions quickly, and then you're more likely to be able to go with your gut rather than piling on more and more and more decision-making information. Have you ever found yourself in that position where you just keep gathering more and more information about what to do? Maybe when you were choosing which college to go to, you keep gathering more and more information and then you can't make a decision. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink, really says just limit the, gather the necessary information and then stop. Go with what your gut tells you. about the decision-making process is a linear process. Let's kind of break it down into steps. There's seven steps that we can break this into. Step one, we pinpoint the problem. What's happening? What should be happening? We need to have a clear definition of the problem before we go looking for a solution. If we don't know what's wrong, we may apply the wrong solution. And the analysis of a problem should be specific and should indicate the desired behavior as well as the present. Step two, Identify the causes. What are the causes for the deviation between the actual and the desired condition? What's going wrong? Step three, we set objectives. 
These need to be specific and they need to be measurable. We need to know the must objectives and the want objectives, the things we must have and the things we want to have. And we need to be clear on the differences. When we come to a decision, we need to make sure we have all the must-haves in the solution, hopefully some of the wants. And this is a great step to get our strategic thinkers involved in. They can help measure the objectives, what it is that we want to get out of it. Step four, we want to formulate action alternatives. This is a great time for brainstorming. Think of new ideas, get creative. This is where we bring in our innovative thinkers, the ones with great innovative capacity, the ones that can identify all the possible solutions to the problem. Step five, we want to evaluate each course of action against the objectives. So we want to match them up with what we can do and how they match up with what it is we need to get out of it. This is a great time to get out our policies and procedure manuals, maybe, if there's a human resource problem at hand, to get out the job description. And then step six, we allow the decision maker to choose the best course of action. To remain in the running as we're beginning to make this choice, the choice of action or the course of action should meet all of the must objectives and it should meet some of the want objectives. While at the same time engendering the fewest disadvantages to the organization and its people, we can break down this the decision-making process into these steps. After we've chosen a best course of action, we go to step seven, and that's to implement our decision. Now, if we think about decision-making personally, when we sit down to make a decision, we don't necessarily do it in a linear fashion. Sometimes we don't toss around all of the answers or options, all of the possible solutions. Sometimes we just go with it. Sometimes we don't have all the information that we need. Sometimes our policy manual makes a decision for us. I'm not suggesting that every decision is made in this seven-step process, but if we were to break down maybe where we're trying to figure out what's going wrong in our decision-making, if we break it down this way, we might be able to pinpoint the problem. Maybe we don't have the right solution or the right idea. We need to go back to the brainstorming process. Maybe we haven't articulated our problem clearly and we need to go back and redefine our problem. So think through the seven steps. One, we're pinpointing the problem. Two, identifying the causes. Three, setting objectives. Four, formulating alternative courses of action. Five, evaluating alternatives against organizational objectives. Six, choose the best course of action. And seven, implement and evaluate the decision. Rational model of decision-making is grounded in economic principles. Here, assume that we have all of the information at hand when we're making a decision. All of the possible information we could possibly need, we have access to the data, it assumes the data is measurable, and rational decision-making assumes that we have the cognitive capacity to make these choices, and that we have all the time and the resources we could possibly need. If all of those things were there, we could make the best choice. However, uh, when Herbert Simon came along, he recognized that we don't always have all of the information. Sometimes the information we need isn't measurable, That's something we can't quite capture in measurable ways. Maybe we don't have time. We've got a day, a couple hours. Or we may not have the cognitive capacity to make sense of all of the information or all of the data in front of us. 
And so he came up with a concept that he called bounded rationality. And this is where we understand that we make decisions under those limitations, not having all the information, not having the cognitive capacity possibly, or not the time and the resources to make sense of the different choices. So you can use rational model and bounded rationality to do various cost-benefit analyses. You can gather the information that you have. Sometimes that's limited, and we expect that and move forward, and we identify the costs and the benefits, and we can weigh them against each other. In economics, you can see we use different ways to add value, to quantify these, this information so that we can compare, somewhat compare apples to apples. Um, but these often are decisions, very often, are decisions rooted in value. They're value-laden. So when we're making decisions in government, when we're making decisions in nonprofit organizations, there's usually some value involved. Could be the competing values that we talked about in a previous episode. Could be values rooted in your mission statement. Some things just are more important to you. If you are running an environmental nonprofit, the environment and environment, the decisions that you make around the environment are more important than efficiency. If you are serving families, maybe families at risk of violence, their safety is priority over efficiency or choices around being environmentally friendly, getting those families to safety. And having programs that do that are going to be more important than efficiency and other values that we have. So rational decision-making offers us really good tools for breaking down what we do and how we make decisions, but it's important to consider the bounded rationality model and understand that our decision-making is limited by our own capacity and the information at hand. Sometimes we make small choices along the way towards a bigger change. People in our organizations often are scared of change. They don't like change. So if we can set a goal further down the line and make small changes along the way, usually our staff and the people that we serve, our very stakeholders, will be happy to not to upset along the way. And realistically, as we're making decisions about changes, only a few policy alternatives can be considered at one time. Often they don't differ really drastically from what's going on. So these are the concepts of satisficing and incrementalism. We're making small changes over time. Now, this isn't necessarily the best way to make decisions. It doesn't get us to the best solution, is what I mean. However, uh, making small changes, it might take us a while to get to where we need to be. We may not see the big change that we want to see in our organization. We can use multiple streams theory from our public policy theory to make sense of creating change in our organization. Often very clear of problems in our organization or problems we're trying to address in the community. And we have solutions to solve them. However, we may not have the resources or the capacity to implement our solution. So we align the problem, we align the solution, and then we wait. We wait for the capacity to make itself available. Maybe it's a donor interested in addressing that problem. Or maybe it's a donor that likes your solution and they want to fund it and see if it works. Maybe a new staff member joins your team and they have great skills that align with that problem and that solution that you're trying to implement. So when that window opens, 
and, and everybody on your team is on, bo on board, you can move forward and implement your solution to address that problem. So this I pull from the multiple streams theory from public policy literature. The last type of decision making I'd like to talk about is participatory decision making. This is where a group of individuals come together and decide in a unified sense what the answer, what the solution is. And there's organizations that exist with a collectivist structure. This means the organization structure is flat, um, there's no one leader, everyone kind of works at the same level, and they come to agreement on any decision the organization needs to have or needs to make, they make that decision together. So, so they sit down, they talk it through. They may use the seven-step process that I talked about earlier, or they may use another process. We see this approach in community organizing. The idea is you bring a diverse folks, a diverse set of folks together in the room, um, and you make a decision that everyone buys into, that everyone agrees to. Now, the benefit of this is that everybody leaves the room happy. Um, some of the risks or problem is decision-making takes a long time. Uh, there's fewer boundaries <laughs> to the decision-making process. So if everyone has to be happy before you leave the room, it really takes a long time. And it takes a lot of work. So if you have a good facilitator on hand, they can make this happen quickly. If there's not a good facilitator, things can get a bit chaotic. Collectivist decision-making is great in smaller organizations. It's tougher in larger organizations. Think about social movements. Um, as they're smaller, it's easier to make group decisions as they grow and expand the social movement. And it's not a large collective decision-making process any longer. But within an organization, collectivist decision-making can be a strong approach among the term values quite a bit in this episode so far. Let's talk a minute about values. In the previous episode, we talked about competing values. We talked about strategic focus versus human relations focus, and focusing on internal processes versus innovation. And there's values rooted in all of those. We need to stick with our plan and see it through is what a symbol of strategic capacity and strategic focus would think. Um, our staff, our team is most important. That is what we value in our organization is someone with human resource or human relation capacity, you might say. Now, if you look at a for-profit organization, you know that they most likely value profit. We're looking at efficiency. How can we make the most profit in our organization? How can we reduce costs to increase profit? Now, in a nonprofit organization, the values should be centered around the mission statement. So environmentalism, family safety, fulfilling whatever mission it is that you have, a participatory governance, those things are core and important to your organization. So sometimes the tools that we have at hand may value something that's not priority in our organization. Yes, we want to be efficient and we want to make good use of money, but sometimes other things are more important. And as we're beginning to make decisions, we can add value or address the value that's important to us. So we want to look at, let's not overspend. However, if overspending a little bit, 
paying for a higher paid employee or a better location in town helps us reach our mission, maybe efficiency isn't a priority that's important to us right now. Um, being environmentally friendly may be the most important value to us. And so that means it costs more um, not to have disposable products or one-use products. It takes more time. Um, maybe our staff health and wellness is most important to us. We need a healthy staff in order to reach our mission and do good. So identifying those values in your organization that are important and priority, it's gonna be an important step in decision-making. And then going back and looking at the strengths of your individual staff members and identifying what their values are will give you insight into how they make decisions. Week you'll work on an assignment that's not based in the nonprofit sector, but it gives us a good example of what rational decision making looks like. So, you are going to look at a city who wants need to build a new road. They have too many people using the road that they use and they need to make some adjustments, whether it's expanding a road, or building a new road. And there's different, different values at play, and you're going to do a cost benefit analysis to determine the best choice. So, you're going to look at environmental concerns, financial concerns, economic concerns around businesses in town, and economic concerns around cost. Um, how do you get people around in a way that makes most sense and addresses the values of that community? I recommend working on this project with two other classmates, so three of you together. It's a heavy assignment, and I'd like to see you work on it together so you can kind of work through the process and talk it through. I recommend three people on your team or two people on your team. And put the names of people that you worked with on the assignment. Each of you turn in your individual assignment. In this episode, we talked about decision-making and leadership. In the next episode, we'll talk about how nonprofit leaders use social media. 